Salutations, and welcome to the Harlots of History podcast, where we scorch the history books and take back the word harlot one episode at a time. This is a show for the curious listener, the raunchy feminist, the sex-positive comic, co-hosted by us, your resident amateur historians who love a side of sexy with their history. Listen as we chat and lecture each other on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, scam artists, and of course, harlots. And we try not to get too sidetracked with rants about putrid patriarchy. I'm Kara Mia, a mom of three. And I'm Emily, a fur mom of three. So go grab your pork rinds or your kale chips. A glass of wine or a big old mug of tea. We're not judging. We will keep you entertained while you wash your dishes, wash your feet, or wash that man right out of your hair. This show also contains alcohol, some very colorful language, and eyebrow raise, sexual content, and is not appropriate for those under 18. Sorry, not sorry to our children and pets. Happy New Year's Eve, everyone. Oh, my God. By 2020. <laughs> 2020 was the last year of my 20s. Dude, 2020 was the worst year of, like, anyone's existence. So yeah, I kind of wish we could restart. I just want to be 29 for one more year. Just one more year. That's all. I started the year on a bar. I was I was bartending. It's weird. I was like, this is the first. No, one of the first days that I haven't worked New Year's Eve in like over 10 years. I think I had like one other day where I didn't. Right. Like, uh, well, it wasn't that big at my last job, but you and I worked plenty of New Year's Eve together. Yeah. And we got off at midnight. Like last year I bartended and I got to stand on the bar and count down, count, do the countdown for everyone. And it was, I think that was like my most, well, it wasn't it was, my most fun one. It was my most fun working one because I got to do that. I was like, if Emily, if it was snowing outside, Emily would have been living out her rent dreams. Oh, yeah. I should have, I should have sang like La Vie Bohème. <laughs> <laughs> we are both very much living La Vie Bohème right now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I'm going to get on my counter tonight and sing La Vie Bohème because like, what else am I going to do? Yeah, but please do. And send okay. that video to me. I think I'm living rent. Like, <laughs> right? Like, okay, okay, but we're not we're not making like the AIDS pandemic. No, but we're saying no. everything everything else about the movie Rent. Emily and I are legit living right now. We're yeah, we're we're having a really hard time. I'm having a really hard time paying my rent because <laughs> you know, it's I'm sorry that I'm sorry that I'm laughing. It's just like desperation. <laughs> Oh my god! It's one of those things where like everything keeps going wrong, and I've gotten to the point where like the more it keeps going wrong, I I can't do anything but laugh about it. Like mm-hmm. it's like at some point you're like, okay, what else can go wrong? And then something else goes wrong, and you're like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> well, it was like so like my every anyone who knows me knows like I hate to cry. Um, I just don't cry, and I purposely try not. I try not to cry. I do cry, but I try not to because um, I like it. I'm the one of those people that when I cry, I get splotches all over my face. I think everybody is one of those people. No, but, no, okay. no, no. Like I get like, I get like red splotches on my forehead. You are an ugly crier. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but like, that's like, and it stays on there for like two hours. Like my splotches you, on my forehead. You could, <laughs> you could rival Dawson for the ugly cry. Yeah. And so I don't cry. Right. Cause I like, I'm not a cute crier. And Lately, everything's been making me cry. I was trying to figure out. And then they're like, this is the cancer moon. Your emotions are going to be so heavy. But as purifying. And I'm like, the stupid freaking moon. I am so ruled by the moon. It's not even funny. I was was looking at that. When you sent me that, I was like, oh, my God. Because yesterday I was just like, everything's too heavy. And that was literally what the moon was like. Everything that's been building up is just going to build up. But think of it as a cleanse. And I was like, I don't feel cleansed, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh uh, uh, welcome to harlots of history oh yeah yeah that's emily over there jeremia the moon lady <laughs> <laughs> i'm ruled by the tides <laughs> emily is ringing in this new year in colorado with her partner and her really cute puppy and her two really cute cats and i just want to really like 
give her, she might think she's stupid now, but I just really want to say like, Emily has done such an amazing job this year, like really providing a home. She has a chronically ill partner who's been really struggling with a lot. Um, he's, his illness is pretty much ignored by a lot of communities. And Emily has been such a support to him. She's made a home for him. She's made a home for her animals who have all been going through something or another. So I just want to say she's done such a good job. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to cry into my wine that I'm like chugging right now. <laughs> That's so sweet. Oh, and I want to give Karamia a shout out because Karamia has been like, Karamia is like, the stay-at-home mom of your dreams like i karamia is like i like i'm not i love my mom but i'm saying like be like karamia is the mom we all wish we had <laughs> not saying i want a different mom mom i still love you i love you you're a perfect mom <laughs> but like if i had a second mom it would be karamia she cooks everything by hand she does all this like natural like cool cleaning stuff you do I know I do. I just, I like, don't feel like I do. <laughs> you do, but like in a, in like a cool, like in a cool way. Right. Like, not in an anti-vax mom way. I was going to say, you still vaccinate your kid. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and like, and like we, we, we're not, sorry. Maybe we should cut that part out. <laughs> I'm not going to that part out. I believe in vaccination. I do too. But I was like, this is, it's just such a like hot button topic. It is a hot button topic, but I'm strongly for vaccination. Me we too. can cut it out Me if too. you want. Me too. Yeah. No, go ahead. Anyway, Caribbean has done a really good job. She has three kids and her husband works overnight. So she's home a lot. She's always making like the most delicious things. And she's like really gotten so creative. Caribbean was like, before you had your two kids, you were like working 60 hour weeks constantly as like a restaurant manager. And now you're like the home manager. And True. you do such a good job, but it was, I know it was such a tough transition for you to go through that. And you've like, I'm just like so impressed with you embracing that. And especially like going into winter quarantine, you're finding all these really unique ways for like you and your like all your kids to get out and not feel cooped up inside. So I'm like really impressed. And uh-huh. she's also been able to be there for me. I try. Constantly. <laughs> That's what I want to say. Okay. So 2020 sucks. This year has been terrible. This it's it's so hard. I know a lot of people have been hit really hard by the pandemic. Um, we definitely have, and I know a lot of people are struggling financially. One thing I try to do is like look at the the things that have come out of this year, so I don't go insane. Mm-hmm. And I like one thing I really appreciate it is this podcast and our listeners and everyone who's like reached out to us and said that like they love listening. And that I mean, we like, help- every, we take every single little thing like that. Even if someone, like a friend of mine, or even someone I don't know, is just like I'm listening to your podcast. Like yesterday, I my cry. friend Angie, who I haven't seen for like I'm talking like a decade. We used to be friends when we were young. She said she was listening to our podcast while waiting to get her first dose of the COVID vaccine. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I thought, was, I thought it was so sweet. I was like, oh, like everything like hits us like so personally because you know. We're, we're, this was a really personal adventure that we did with the both of us. And it's just something that we like absolutely love to do. And we're learning so much as we go and just like getting validation from people that we really like trust and appreciate. Ugh, it's just so nice. We need your validation, you guys. We're like huge people pleasers. <laughs> we're trying not to we're be, working we like, on it. <laughs> we like really need your validation. <laughs> but I just, yeah, one thing besides this podcast is like Caramia and I have gotten closer than ever. Even like, like I'm, we lived in the same apartment building and I think we're closer now. Yeah, we're closer because we, we like, we're, we're closer in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, before we were like in our young twenties and we were like doing stupid shit, but like now we're like, I'm like I've like I've we have both seen each other at our absolute freaking lowest and at our best and, too. And, our well, yeah, but I was like, we've seen each other at our like lowest, most smelliest, like, <laughs> <laughs> and we still love each other and we, we still, still love like, each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just yeah, we both have same to you. You've really helped me this year, so. <laughs> Right. Well, we're here to help you ring in the new year. Um, hopefully you're doing it safe. Stay home, drink whatever you can afford. For me, it's just going to be the free wine I got for Christmas. <laughs> right. And like, and this, this episode is just something that was like, really like, it's really fun. It's okay. Well, the stuff that happens in it isn't fun, but it's sure fun and interesting to talk about. And I, th- it's a little bit of, it. it is, 
does it, it's not in our usual wheel well, but it's a special kind of one off just for New Year's Eve. So like while you're cleaning up or making dinner for just like yourself and your partner, yourself and your cat, whatever you want, drinking, listen to this. Yeah, we're here for you. <laughs> we are, we are. So you ready? Yes, I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Okay, so when you think of the CIA, does illicit sexy encounters come to mind? Yes. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <And> no. <laughs> no. Uh, but when you combine it with illegal human testing and ignoring citizen rights and inducing mental harm, you're like, oh, yeah, that is the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. That sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, today we are going to be delving in to a part of MK Ultra. I am not taking on all MK Ultra. I am not taking on that whole horrible history of the CIA. I'm not doing that, but I am talking about a part of it today. And I want to say it was brought to my attention. I love CBC Podcast. They're the Canadian Broadcasting Network. They do amazing investigative podcasts. And I actually discovered them through Hunting Warhead, which was amazing. And then uh, this this whole uh, series is actually called uh, Brainwashed. Hold on, I'm going to... Yep, it's, it's called Brainwash. And what's really cool is they're tying in the history of MKUltra with something that they are currently investigating that was happening in Montreal, like a much later after MKUltra. So anything about MKUltra? Are you going to talk about it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about, but I'm just saying that CBC podcast brainwashed. Everyone go listen to it. They by far have given the most conclusive, like really well-rounded account of each of the MK Ultras, like different affairs, how it came to be, all this stuff, like in this really cohesive way that I managed to retain. Because I think, like you, probably when you are confronted with MK Ultra and learning about it, it's it's overwhelming. Okay, it and sounds, also it sounds really familiar, but I don't know. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. So let me tell you. Okay, so Sidney Gottlieb was the head of MK Ultra in 1953. He convinced the head of the CIA, Arthur Duels, that the CIA needed a program for the covert use of biological and chemical materials. Sidney was actually the one who secretly dosed Frank Olson, who was the bacteri- uh, bacteriologist. Like He, was, he uh, helped with biological warfare for the United States Army, who then fell from the window of the Hotel Statler nine days after he was secretly dosed. And he, that was the basis for Wormwood. You know that show on Netflix? Oh, it's a really good show on Netflix. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, Wormwood? It's, yeah, Wormwood is a, it's, so it was like this, that's pretty much like how a lot of MK ultra like came to like the public light in kind of like an emotional way. Cause Frank Olson's family then kind of appealed to general, uh, Gerald Ford, who was president at that time, like much, this was like a deck, two decades after it happened, but that's how it pretty much came to light. But yeah, so look up Frank Olson. It's a really infamous affair that the CIA pretty much couldn't cover up. There is so much sketchy. Sh- I mean, there still is more sketchy shit going on that I feel like was it more like were people like less covert back then? Um, so, well, let me get into it. Let me get into it. So oversimplification, but uh, MK Ultra was created by the CIA in the 50s like I said, Sydney Gottlieb, to dose volunteers, but mostly people who had no idea what was going on. They were called unwitting testing by the program with primarily LSD, but also other hallucinogens. MKUltra mind control experiments generally centered around behavior modification, which which they um, tried to achieve via electric shock therapy, hypnosis, polygraphs, radiation, variety of drugs toxins and chemicals like they did this again right right yeah they did Why this in the name in psychology like because of those like crazy experiments well even at this time um a lot of the testing that they were doing was against the nuremberg oh uh, yeah, the yeah, nuremberg yeah. Laws. yeah so um they did this in the name of psychiatric research to develop techniques that would crush the human psyche to the point that it would admit anything aka they were looking for truth serums mm-hmm. um so this is at the height of McCarthyism, which we have talked about, and the fear of communism. Uh, the U.S. government leaders at the time, like this is like the 1940s, claimed that communists. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, what's his face? Uh, sorry. The guy, um, the Unabomber. Tra- tra- uh, it's like on my tongue. Ted Kaczynski. 
Kaczynski. I was like, I knew it was dead. Um, they he did that at Harvard. They had like those kind of experiments at Harvard that they were doing on him for two years, and it like is what broke him. Yeah, they they did it on students. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, the U.S. government leaders claim that communist regimes were using hallucinogens to get confessions for prisoners of war and to like brainwash spies to defect during the Korean War. And there was also reports in the 1940s that the Soviet Union was trying to create LSD, which was largely unresearched by the U.S. at the time. Um, it feared that there was a mind control gap in the U.S. That's like actually a phrase that was used by the CIA. There is a mind control gap in the U.S. and that we were the U.S. was second place to the Soviets in like mind control research. <laughs> so oh. they, they responded appropriately. To find out if LSD was useful in war and other covert operations, the CIA decided to purchase the entire world's supply of LSD. Oh. For $240,000. What? The entire world's supply? Uh Uh-huh. And the thing is, LSD was literally, it was created in the early 1940s by, I I believe it was a Swiss, oh gosh, I got to look him up. Sorry. He's like this really cute guy. Um... Hold on one sec. Sorry. It was formed. Yeah, it was, it was formed in like, so LSD, it was created by, or was discovered by Alfred Hoffman. And so in 1938, so it's actually, it's actually, um, it was made from a chemical from a fungi. Ooh, a fun guy. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking, um, okay. I was, I've talked about this before the show fringe. It's like, not really rooted in reality at all, but it kind of is like their experience are based on, it's got Joshua Jackson who I'm like way too in love with, but um, he was pasty on Dawson's Creek guys, but it's like fringe is a really good show. I, I watched it like when it first came out and we were rewatching it over the summer, but like that was a lot of their experiences that like they were doing these like LSD. And I think it was based on this whole thing. Well, yeah, wouldn't be surprising because they literally decided, the U.S. government decided to test it out on citizens and prisoners and students and in hospitals. That's like what Stranger Things is about, too. Yeah, it's 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 literally like it's literally influenced so many things in popular culture. Yeah. Um, and also like a lot of people that like, you know, there would be no Grateful Dead. There would be no Kurt Vonnegut. There would be no, you know what I mean? There's like so many, you know, Allen Ginsberg. Like there would be none of these, um, that whole counterculture movement that we know, um, especially that came place in like the mid to late 1960s wouldn't have happened if it wasn't mm-hmm. for LSD. So not advocating for it, but just saying. Um mm-hmm. Uh, so it was all over the U.S., but in concentrations in New York City and San Francisco. And obviously, you can't control a drug. LSD started out in government control. It was literally brought in by the government, and it escaped government control. <laughs> so um, even crazier, before uh, MK Ultra and the CIA, there was the Office of Strategic, Strategic Services, who slipped THCA, a.k.a. super-concentrated liquid marijuana, into the food or cigarettes of suspected communists mobsters and objectors of the government this is in like like, the early 1940s they just started like laughing and eating a lot of food and not confessing (laughs) they were just like they were like tell me all your deepest darkest secrets and they're like can i right well you gotta what was it um reefer madness was like what people thought about marijuana at the time the general public and like i said they were searching for the truth serum but that's just your overview of MK Ultra. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about Operation Midnight Climax, oh. which is the secret code name for a project of MK Ultra that was named and overseen by George White. I think that's like the least secret name that in the like, fucking that, world, right? Like, like you, you're, you're not going to forget it. Yeah, you're like Midnight Climax. Um. Like, I think they should have, like, called it, like, Operation Sponge Cake, and no one would have remembered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Operation Broom, like, something. I I know. That's, like, like what we should codename, you know, when you, like, wake up in the middle of the night and want to have sex with your partner. (laughs) Right? Operation Midnight Climax. That's exactly what I, when I first heard it, I thought it was fake. I thought it was, like, there's no way it's real. I still think it's fake until you tell me about it. Right? I'm still not convinced. 
So George White, the bulk of his career was for the Bureau of Narcotics, um, breaking up opium and heroin rings all over the world. He actually was in the Office of Strategic Services, and he was one of the first people to dose a mobster with the liquid marijuana, concentrated liquid marijuana. So he has a history. That's just liquid? It's super concentrated liquid marijuana. That's all that's I don't I don't know too much about it. Like I said, I just wanted to like bring that up because I thought it was like super interesting. I know so, more about that. Sydney Gottlieb, who is the head of MKUltra, pretty much gave George White this role. And he would drop in from time to time, but pretty much gave George White free reign. Just like Sydney Gottlieb was given free reign by the head of CIA Arthur Duels, and he gave this guy free reign. So it was like it just the amount of unstruck like how much this this these studies and how much like this whole program was not structured it was not like overseen properly they did not properly prepare agent it's just gross the operation midnight climax was when the government CIA MK Ultra paid sex workers to bring unsuspecting men back to brothels that were called safe houses by the government to then secretly dose them with cocktails laced with acid with LSD, and then they would be observed. I will talk more about that, but I'm, but I'm just giving you an overview because I will go more into it. Secretly dosing people is like, I just feel like that's, it's so not, yeah. You know, like that non-consent is just so evil, right? (laughs) So the first brothel opened by the CIA and George White was actually in New York City, but it was suspended after Frank Olson's death. The one that I was talking about earlier who plummeted from that the 10th floor of the Hotel Statler after being dosed with LSD because the name of George White and the address of the New York City safe house was discovered on a piece of paper in his hotel mate's pocket because his hotel mate had to go talk to the police and the police was like, you know, like empty out your pockets, like all this stuff before you get in this, like George White's name and the address of the safe house was found on this piece of paper. Why do you have it written, that, written down? That seems like something you should memorize. I was the CIA in the 40s. I don't like 50s. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They didn't evolve. We know now. Okay. We know now. Yeah. So, um, of course, then it opened later and there was actually at least two safe houses in constant operation in New York City for a decade, but little is known about them. Uh, so Operation Midnight Climax like what we know about it took place in at least three safe houses that were called pads in San Francisco. The most well-known was on 225th chestnut on telegraph Hill, which was in use from the CIA to 1955 to 1965. Uh, So it was a short jaunt from some rowdy bars in North beach. And like I was saying, sex workers paid by the CIA would entice the men back to the pad Give them unknown, like give these unknowing men cocktails laced with acid. Um, the apartment was subtly decorated by George White. He was like, I'm gonna decorate it like a French whorehouse. So he mm. put photos of women in bondage and like all of the posters for the Moulin Rouge by Henry Toulouse Lautrec, Henry Toulouse Lautrec, and all of like, you know, how he famously painted a lot of sex workers and mm-hmm. he painted a lot of, yeah. So he thought that he was gonna, you know, put these pictures everywhere and get a French whorehouse look. And people said it was like the cheapest looking apartment. And he probably <laughs> spent so much of the CIA's money to make it look like, you know, luxurious. He bought like the actual like paintings from him. Oh, right, right, right. Oh my gosh. And the sex workers were paid in cash and chits, which they could use as a get out of jail free card if they were oh, so arrested they were- for sex working. So they basically were like, here, we'll give you money. And then also like, God, that's right. So if they were if they were arrested for sex working, they could tell the policeman who arrested them, call George White, and then George White would get them out of jail free. I have so many issues with this. But okay. if they ran out of get if they ran out of chits, there was no get out of jail free. So they had or a they, really big incentive to keep working for the CIA. It's grossly manipulative. Oh, it's super grossly manipulative and like Okay. Also, you could have just legalized sex work, but why not when you can make it work for your own personal advantage? 
Well, not even personal advantage, the CIA's advantage. Yeah, I meant personal by like the CIA. No, no, yeah, yeah. No, seriously, yeah. Like that's a whole nother. So George White preferred um, the subjects. That's what he called them pretty much customers to be working class or men that were of quote unquote lower class. It's a quote, according to him, Um, because the lower the social status, the less attention it would draw, which like wouldn't then disrupt the operation. Oh my God. That doesn't mean there's not tons of records of this, but there is suggestions that there were some people of a higher standing socially, AKA government officials or something like that, or these men that they actually then used the videos that they got and the recordings that they got to blackmail them. But again, that's just like hearsay. There's no, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. So this is a quote from John Marks, who actually is the author of the search for the Manchurian candidate, the CIA and mind control. It's a really cool book. I can't wait to read it. Um, It says an unsuspecting John would think he had bought a night of pleasure to go back to a strange apartment and wind up zonked. Mm -hmm. The CIA agents would watch behind a one way pane of glass or a two way mirror, which actually they had installed by a Berkeley student. So they would be watching this yeah. whole, like, the sex and... Yeah. Did they, oh, God, that's so creepy. While chugging pitchers of martinis. Eight martini lunches were common. They joked about it. I do know that, actually. Um, my, my um, like, adoptive grandparents when I was little, my, the, they were basically, like, she, uh, Betty was, like, the reader she was like my preschool reader. She read to us. And so like, we really like loved them. And my parents were like, like you're Emily's second grandparents. So Betty and Norman were their names. <laughs> and Norman was like an RCA executive. So the story is just cool. So he like was like in Chicago and New York. So he was like in like the fifties and sixties, you know, when they're the ad execs, but he didn't drink. So he would just like go to all these like martini lunches and he would order like water with an olive in a martini glass. And he would just be sitting there, like, drinking the water while everyone else was getting slosh. And he could make the best business deals. Because so he was funny. I know. I just always thought that was, like, so smart. All right. Life anyway, hack. Life hack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and there, so we, as we were talking, eight martini lunches were common. Um, there were also recording devices disguised around the apartment. And most of these agents that were, eight, like, you know, researching behind the two-way mirrors had no psychiatric training and no way to quantify the research, quote-unquote research they were recording. There was no consistent medical supervision, no medical pre-screening. These tests were illegal according to the laws of the United States, and they were huge violations of citizens' rights, and they were life-threatening. And they continued for 10 years after the death of Frank Olson. So Frank Olson's death happened in the early 50s, and they still continued. Really quick, just in case people don't know what LSD does to you. So it, it, like, they believe... um, that it alters your serotonin system mm-hmm. and uh, it you can experience like severe anxiety, severe paranoia and delusions. Like people do experience really distressing flashbacks, but it says that it alters thoughts, your feelings, your awareness of surroundings. Uh, they have like visual or auditory hallucinations, but for someone who has never experienced it before, especially someone who does not know they were dosed, you can just imagine how distressing this must be. There's dilated pupils, increased blood pressure, and your body temperature increases. So it's yeah. like not it's not even just like playing with like, you know, your mind the chemicals of your mind. It's like, can you imagine like not knowing what's happening? You feel yourself sweating, you feel your heart starting to race. You like people like I was watching um all these controlled dosages from that you can watch on YouTube from the 50s by the government in different capacities. And like, you literally see like this housewife. I just, she's just like, I wish it's like, just like, you know, you like it just the change that happens. And she was fairly distressed and she knew what was happening. I'm not saying just, the LSC is like horrible. Like, you know, like, no, I'm not, that's not like, what we're saying, I, but you know, I think just, dosing someone, I, I honestly, I think dosing someone without their consent is extremely terrible. 
Well, they're like also at, saying at, these dosages were anywhere between 10 to 100 times what you would consider a normal dose. Oh my God. So they I were think- really, really extreme. And like MK Ultra, there's actually instances where they said they like they would dose people for 77 days straight. But that's MK Ultra, which we're not, yeah, which we're not talking about. We're talking about Operation Midnight Climax. But yeah. Did people die? Were there people yeah, that were like there's and like of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were like, you know, like knowingly and unwittingly test subjects of MK Ultra, they said that they have actually only recorded 14 of these people ever being contacted later. And like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like, I, I remember I did a play, the play Go Ask Alice when I was like a sophomore in high school and it scared the living shit out of me. So like, mm-hmm. but like, I just like, think about that, you know, you can have bad trips and especially if you don't know what's happening. Like, I feel like when you're doing drugs, you have to like go into it knowing that you're doing it. And then you can be like, okay, this is like what's happening. I can like, I can chill with what's going on. I mean, because I know Frank Olson said like, like there's like either he was murdered, but like most, like, I mean, I think a lot of people think that like he literally committed suicide because of an adverse reaction to LSD. And there's like a whole, there's, there's so many personalized experiences. Like I said, they, they did it on prisoners. Like Whitey Bulger was dosed in so a Frank, confined cell. Okay. So sorry, explain this to me. I'm confused about yeah. Frank Olson. He is. Frank Olson was uh, at a party for the CIA. He worked for the United States army as a biologist in biochemical warfare. The CIA would dose their own agents. Even if they weren't in MK Ultra, they would dose them to see what would happen. And they didn't know. They didn't know. So he worked for the CA. He got dosed. He fell out a window. But he was also working, so he like had the information for the safe house. No. So what no, happened was no, no, no. That's okay. So when he fell out the window. All spotlights went on the CIA because he worked for the United States government in biological warfare, which is a highly covert area, right? Okay. So his hotel mate was a CIA chemist. And when the Mm. CIA chemist went to go get questioned by the police, they're like, empty all your pockets, empty all this, empty all that. And on the piece of paper in his pocket was George White's name and the name of the safe house a.k.a. the brothel that was run by George White in New York City. So oh, okay. this was unknown to the public. George White like was literally unknown to the public as like what they would call a spook, a spy this master. Is, this is like how people found out about this, about the midnight climax, kind of. Kind of. Like um, much later. So like remember this, like Frank Olson jumped out of the window in like the 50s. I think it happened like early 50s. Jumped out. Fell, pushed. Yeah, Yeah. nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Went out a window. Yeah, Uh, it wasn't really until his family started petitioning, like Gerald Ford, in the seventies, that people started to know about it. Okay, okay, thank you. I yeah, no, and I'll talk more about how like MK Ultra ended and it came to light. But yeah, please ask questions. Government stuff really confuses me. Me too. Me too. Okay, so um, George White's huge hulking frame and balding head was the main man behind the glass. His favorite observational post was a portable toilet that was gifted to him. I don't know if he sat on there to poop. I don't know if he was just sitting on there, but it comes up like in a bunch of things. Uh, the CIA agreed to the safe houses originally as a place, as places to observe the effects of LSD, but George White became more and more obsessed with the sex aspect of it. So the question that he really started to pose between behind Operation Midnight Climax was like, how could sex get a man to talk? How did thought control and sex mix? And a lot of trial and error here. Um, George White initially had sex workers offering extra favors, etc., to get the man to talk. <laughs> but as said an observer, we found the guy was so focused solely on hormonal needs. He was not thinking of his career or anything else at that point. <laughs> So they initially went into it thinking that a man would like shout like his deepest, darkest secret at the moment of climax. climax. Yeah. Oh my God. Have you guys like, were were these people that had like never had like orgasms before? You don't remember. This was the fifties. So I think like these men, like, like really just thought sex was like missionary. Like there is a lot of like, you, you hear a bit and like, it's, it's kind of hard to, like I said, to like, to quantify this as like a legitimate, like I've read this and I've heard murmurings that they were very shocked at the kink level. Yeah. I and guess that, like if you were like, 
I don't think mission like anything other than missionary was really being like taught because like how would you know that there are other ways to have sex if like you're literally like okay this is this is this this is how how you do it this is what happens Mm -hmm. and then like you're in it and you're like okay this is like how it goes I don't know like I don't feel like I mean I mean I'm these men are CIA agents I feel like they should be a little bit more worldly they should be I mean you I mean there's definitely people exploring but like yeah I feel like I mean, these, like these men, these men were all button up white men. I was going to say, there was like They're a lot of very boring. Yeah. In like the 50s. And that's where like, and like these men McCarthy all came from like nonconformity and like, you know, these men look like they were having so many, like having like steaks every night. They like literally, you know how like men who have red meat for every single like dinner, they get that look. <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> about? Like their neck yeah. is like bulging when they have like whiskey and like drinks. For and steak for every day, like you know what I'm talking about. They all had yeah. that look, Emily. They all have that look. Oh, I just like imagine ugh, like those guys being behind a mirror when you're like doing it. Oh, and they also said that um, some of these safe houses had like incredible pornography libraries for like for who like the FBI, CIA agents? No, for the customers or su- test subjects. But I'm sure that the CIA agents used them too. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> um, but more success was found when the sex workers Can like hung out on like pornography in like the 60s because that sounds really interesting. We did. We did. Uh huh. We talked about the golden age of pornography. Oh yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Okay, but no, but it was like at the end of the 60s. But we can totally. I would love, love, love like to cool like delve into the early. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like where it started because it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because I pretty much, I just, I I did the history of like video. Mm-hmm. Or not yeah, yeah, on video, on moving film, not necessarily just like magazines well, be interesting or to see like when, when does the first pornography for like, was, I could just see like it being in like the 1800s, like, you know, there's like the first moving picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? Yeah. No, totally. Like, or if it was like, interesting. on the flip book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the flip book. <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, more success was found when the sex workers hung out after sex and didn't rush off. Men reportedly became more emotionally vulnerable as they spent hours together. And I was like, what? You mean personal connection? Made someone more willing to share their secrets with you? Gasp. Oh my gosh, it wasn't just LSD and like, boom, bang, you're done. Like, I just, I just don't, I don't, I think it's this, like, this whole thing. Like, I'm just like, how did someone even connect? Like, it just sounds so, right? It's so, so you feel like, you feel like you would have like, um, well, just maybe what we know now, but I feel like you would have more success with microdosing on LSD and an intimate connection. Instead of like these humongous doses that person would literally just be like, the wall is moving. I don't know. It's just like, don't even right? I just don't understand even how LSD like really, really ties in in that amount. Like it's like literally getting somebody like they can't even stand up straight. Well, I can understand how like it could open your mind and smell like they've done um, research on LSD actually in pain management, like mm-hmm. microdoses and same with uh, psilocybin, like microdosing on psilocybin is actually like. Because it opens your mind. So it's actually supposed to like help the same way. But that's you know, microdoses. Not, not like, like 10 to 100, 100 times. times. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know that this is before the research, but like, come on, guys. Like, if you're going to try it on other people, like, try it yourself first and see what to expect. Yeah. Right. And White and other officials began to try to figure out how to work with sex workers um, to see if they could be trained and keep state secrets. But I was just like, just the fact that they are like literally trying to figure out ways how to ex- further exploit sex workers while still making what they do illegal. Yeah. It's just gross to me. And it just made me wonder like how many more instances the U.S. government has actually like used sex workers for their own means. Probably a lot. Yeah, exactly. And so the safe houses actually became like the frat houses of the MK Ultra program. The oh CIA God. operatives of the program are allowed to experiment with LSD themselves. Uh, White said that he played, George White said that he played the guinea pig from time to time. 
A CIA source once said, if we were scared enough of a drug to not try it out on ourselves, we sent it to San Francisco. It, makes you, it, just, it just makes you wonder, uh, is the drug culture in San Francisco, like, does, does this have anything to do with the quote-unquote drug culture in San Francisco? Probably. And because yeah. the... Right. And because of the illicit nature of the operation, Sidney Gottlieb did not think that receipts or financial records could or should be kept. So the public has no idea how much money was spent. But I think it exceeded the MK Ultra's original funding of three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> for the whole program. Not just like Operation Midnight Climax. Three hundred thousand dollars was Agreed for the funding of MK Ultra, not just Operation Climax. Well, you said Climax. like they also purchased what two hundred forty thousand dollars of LSD. So that's like so, no MK. So originally the CIA purchased two hundred forty thousand dollars. Not that was not MK whole CIA. Okay, okay, gotcha. But then Sidney Gottlieb got a permission for three hundred thousand dollars worth of funding for MK Ultra. But imagine how much Operation Midnight Climax used. It had to be over three hundred thousand, and three hundred thousand dollars was approved for MK Ultra as a whole. Um, yeah. If you're like the LSD, the like stakes. If you're like paying off sex workers, paying off rent on these houses, redecorating them, getting cocktails. Think of those those men probably drank three hundred thousand dollars worth of martinis. Also, like a pitcher of martinis just like doesn't sound good. I'm sure, and like, can you imagine it just like sitting and getting more and more pungent? It, it like it like makes my bartender heart really sad. The olive juice just like like literally. Can you imagine it just sitting and per? Yeah, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So no. the first safe house in San Francisco was considered such a success. So another one was opened across the Golden Street Bridge in a more suburban setting. It gave more isolation, so the experiments could get more elaborate. So um, John Mark in the search for the Manchurian candidate said the scientists uh, tested such MK ultra specialties such as stink bombs, itching and sneezing powders and diarrhea inducers. These harassment substances were sent out to California for testing by George White, along with such delivery systems, such as a mechanical launcher that could throw foul smelling objects, a hundred yards, a glass, ampules that could be stepped on in a crowd to release any of the powders, a fine hypodermic needle to inject drugs through the cork in a wine bottle, and drug-coated swizzle sticks. I don't understand what itching and sneezing powders have to do in the name of uh, international or like like USA security, but apparently <laughs> I don't know you anything. Know. <laughs> we don't, Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything, right? And this was actually from an internal CIA memo. The effectiveness on substances on individuals at all social levels, high and low, Native Americans and foreign, is of great significance. And testing has been performed on a variety of individuals within these categories. Why do you have to, like, like qualify it as, like, or quantify it as, like, Native Americans and foreign? Like, why don't you just say, like, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's that, uh, yeah. Literally, that was the only... Like if if you go on the CIA's website, you just type in Operation Midnight Climax, and I believe the second or third thing that pops up under Google search is from the CIA, and it is okay. literally the second or third CIA director after Arthur Duels, who was fired by JFK, um, talking about like the CIA really had nothing to do with Sidney Gottlieb. He did this all of his own accord. And also, it just it's just so dodgy. I'll talk about that more later. But yeah, you should everyone should go read it and just realize like the lack of transparency is really evident. Yeah, and it sounds like they would just like burn someone. Oh, it's like um burn list. Is that what it's called? I never watched it. Oh, it was really good. I have to. It was was like it's really good. Yeah. So George White did not just dose men once they had returned to the safe houses with a sex worker, but he also dosed random people in bars. There's this account, firsthand account from this female singer who was just about to go on stage and he dosed her. Yeah, at a, like a local bar. And George White and his wife would host dinner parties where they would dose guests with an LSD cocktail. Okay, it's like consent. It, a consent. Like drug, I... Oh, I remember, no remember... I know. Uh, unfortunately, I know. consent is like quite a new. I know. I know. It's, it just it was 
purely novelty at this time, right? No, I know. I mean, there was, there was no consent. And this will piss you off even more. So cool. George Wright enjoyed his work fully. In a letter to Sidney Gottlieb, remember the head of MKUltra, he wrote, Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, cheat, steal, deceive, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of all highest? Pretty good stuff, brother, with a double D. I'm making She's making angry mad face. I, it's like I was thinking more Grinch face, but yeah, I'm making a really mad face. And so the safe houses in both New York City and San Francisco continued to operate almost a year and a half longer after MK Ultra was suspended. So it was suspended in like 1940 or 1964. And like the the CIA operatives and officials argued that these safe houses were like integral to like scientific research. So no, and also no disciplinary action has been taken behind anyone behind Operation Midnight Climax or MKUltra. Also, as I'm not going to call myself a scientist, but as someone who's like pretty much only take sci- taken science classes nonstop for the last like three years, um, you have to fucking write everything down. Like this stuff is the least scientific thing I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. You're just like throwing LSD and drinking martinis. Like they're not actually taking like quantitative notes or anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was really funny, but after George White um, retired, he ended up writing a book called diet of danger and it was rejected by the publisher. So, so um, operation midnight climax was an embarrassment to the CIA. It did not prove or provide any conclusive scientific findings. Even Cindy Gottlieb head of MKUltra believed that the experiments did not prove anything. He did not believe that they were like, yeah, they, they didn't, they didn't prove anything. Um, while researching this, it was so weird that more information was like not at my fingertips. Like I found it really frustrating. It made me realize the scope of how little we truly know about Operation Midnight Climax and MKUltra. The CIA destroyed most of the files and evidence if it wasn't for a bumbling employee who mis- misplaced 20,000 pages of classified material. That's pretty much, that's that's what the Manchurian candidate is based on. And that's a movie, right? Is that the, about uh-huh. the same thing? Oh, yeah. the book. The book. The movie's based on the book. Oh, yeah. Um, there you yeah. And then... Um, and also for the New York Times reporter Seymour Hirsch, who exposed the CIA's illegal spying on citizens, which led to more investigations within the Senate under oh Kennedy. And even crazier, George White, Sidney Gottlieb, and some other people who were involved in, uh, in Operation Midnight Climax, I'm, they refused to testify. They, All you know is that they were subpoenaed. And you literally don't get any more information about after they were subpoenaed. And they just didn't testify? I don't know if they did. Like I said, I, I could. And, like, I, op, like, you know how, like, you would expect, like, an Operation Midnight Climax to have, like, an incredibly long page on Wikipedia? Yeah. Two paragraphs. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, if it wasn't for the misplacement of pages and this reporter literally risking his life to, like, like say the CIA is doing illegal things to citizens, we would know nothing about this part, this really icky part of American history. We would know nothing about it. So it just, I don't know, just, yeah. Right. And so that, that, that is the really, like, I'm sorry if that's not a really good conclusive, you know, if you want to learn more about MKUltra, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. I was really, really upset at a lot of the, podcast episodes and stuff about MK Ultra because people tend to like because it, it really does inspire a lot of conversations about consent mm-hmm. about you know just just what a, a drug can do to an unknowing person what positions they could get in like it's just it's, it's sad and horrible to think and so these people tend to get sidetracked and it's just it's frustrating because it's just a lot of repeat information over and over and over again it's mm-hmm. like there's no pictures you can get like a picture of the guys and a picture of the house from the front. But it's like, what happened to all the freaking recordings? Yeah. There's it's like, there's hours. Jesus. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I have a huge problem with like people being dosed against their consent. Cause I just think it's, I think it's, I think it's a, a really, really terrible thing to do because it's like, it's altering someone's mind. And I think that like, you you really have to give your full consent and able to be able to do that. It's the same thing as like putting a roofie in someone's drink. 
Like exactly. you, yeah, literally that is such a good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you shouldn't fucking do that. Get for any you can reason. get for putting a roofie in someone's drink. Yeah, exactly. And that's like what these people were doing. And it's like, whether or not, like, it has the exact same effects, it still has the effect of altering someone's mind. And that is like, oh, it's just so violating and so, oh, yeah. Right. There's so really quickly, my sources, um, Operation Midnight Climax, how the CIA dose San Franciscan citizens with LSD by Troy Hooper for the San Francisco Weekly, when the CIA ran an LSD sex house in San Francisco by Gary Kamaya for the San Francisco Chronicle, and of course, history.com and medium.com. Good job. And of course, the CBC podcast Brainwashed, which is amazing. That was really interesting. Right. So I'm sorry if it was like a bit all over the place. It's like really hard for me. I'm not a scientist by any means. I am not like someone, I can't read scientific material. I can read history until like the cows come home, but I can't read science stuff. But this was incredibly interesting to me. So just trying to figure out how to break it down into a bite size about no, Operation Climax, not about MPO. Really you did a really good job. Yeah. No, I, I know science. Like I like reading scientific articles, but I, I can only like skim them. Cause sometimes you're like, eh, no, that was, that was really interesting. And I'm like, I had no idea before you brought that to my attention. It's like, it shocked me, but it's also like that shit happened all the time. And I feel like we should be talking about it more because it's super fucked up and it's really also, not okay. Like people, a lot of people like, like, MK Ultra isn't legitimized for the general public because for years it was just discussed, I think, by like hardcore investigative journalists and also like quote unquote conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I believe like nowadays, like I said, it, more and more people are starting to know about it, but it's like it's just really frustrating when like Operation Midnight Climax is simply a footnote. Mm-hmm. in this program as a whole when I think, I mean, don't get me wrong, MKUltra did so many horror. Like I said, dosing patients for 77 days straight. Oh my God. Like, I'm not going to say dose students. They dosed prisoners that had no choice. That would be like, um, that would make people go insane. Like that would people, that would make people's like mental health just like drop off. I can't mm-hmm. imagine coming back from that. You know that from the beginning, right? No, seriously. And that's that's what CBC, there's literally a uh, Montreal psychiatrist that is doing something similar as like in the past, like I feel like past two decades, like it's much more recent that he was doing that. But yeah, no, like, in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. I'm, with, still, I'm but, still listening to it. It's still concluding. Okay. I was like with like different with consent or just no. like things. Exact same thing, like dosing people without their so, like these like this this man brought it to what happened was is this guy brought it to so it's Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal was a innovative cutting edge new hospital or an innovative new hospital where patients sought cutting edge psychiatric care. But instead of being helped, many were subjected to shockingly brutal experiments, massive doses of LSD or other drugs, electroshocks, and sensory deprivation. So it's just coming to light. I believe, I'm, I can't remember the exact decades that it happened, but it definitely happened after MK Ultra in Montreal. And these people are giving like firsthand accounts about how their parents were never the same. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty sad, but like, yeah, CBC brainwashed, listen to it. It's amazing. This sounds really good. Yeah. You would really like it. You'd really enjoy it, but yeah, so not to bum you out, but just to kind of be like, like, just remember, like, there's so much stuff to learn about American history. We need to do really make a really conscious effort to unlearn and then relearn because we don't we don't even know how the CIA and MK Ultra affected minorities, any sort of minorities. We don't mm-hmm. know how they mm-hmm. addressed minorities. We don't even know what happened if someone was lured back and they were of a different sexual orientation. We have no mm-hmm. idea. No idea. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, considering the way that they were like manipulating sex workers, I would assume that, you know, yeah, they're, you yeah, of also, course. Also, you just also wonder if they even gave the sex workers a choice because if they had, no. they know that these people were sex workers, like it's also like maybe Out, in the quote unquote, like outside the law. And like the way they said it, they like got paid like a hundred dollars, but you just like wonder 
like if that was even worth their time, if they couldn't. Hundred dollars back then, though. Like I think, yeah, but if it was for the, like, for example, they like had them stay for hours after with a man. You just wonder if it was even worth their time. Probably to get to get the like get out of jail free cards. You know, it's like if you're that's like your only you know, source of income and yeah, you it's like, wonder, you wonder like how much they manipulated. Very. It's like, I'm thinking police force to be like, okay, like, you know, maybe you should guys should go round up more sex workers tonight because you know, they wanted to like the fire under these, they wanted a queue of sex workers wanting to work mm-hmm. for them. You know what I mean? Oh, just, sure. You just don't know. And may, this is all purely speculation, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you want to do our, our, um, happy heart. Should we do like, I was thinking we should not new year's resolutions, but should we do like, I don't know something we like look forward to in 2021 or that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You go. Um, I am just really looking forward to just, okay. This is like, just like so much, but I'm just, I'm honestly like really looking forward to, I am as far out postpartum as I have been in like almost four years of my life. Mm -hmm. That's like a lot. Um, and that doesn't even count like, you know, the, how many years after Zelda, I'm just talking about my last two children. Yeah. I'm just really excited to see where it will take me, mm-hmm. uh, AKA not being pregnant and not being like directly postpartum yeah, and not breastfeeding and not, I'm just excited to see where it's going to take me, like what job opportunities, um, where we might land in our house search. I'm just really excited to see like, and I, I'm not trying to set up any direct resolutions, but I'm just excited to see what kind of growth I have. I don't feel like after this last year, it's like really hard to set up direct res- resolutions because it's like, remember that comedian? Out all of my calories. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that comedian, like I wrote cry less. <laughs> She's right. like, can you her 2020 resolutions? That's a really, I really like that. That's like, yeah, because this is a, like a whole new spot for you. Mm-hmm. But what You're about not you? Pregnant or breastfeeding or right? right. Yeah. <laughs> in like four years. <sighs> um, I think in 2021, I wanna. I've been doing a lot of like inner work on myself, which just like you know being at home for nine months and then like just a lot of turmoil turmoil in our last like year and a half. I, I think I'm, do- I'm doing a lot of inner work on myself. So I'd really like to, I really want to like be friends with my inner demons more. I know that sounds really corny. <laughs> no, it's cute. But like, um, and I, I just, I really want to. It's like, we know, don't, like, we don't, we don't, we don't just want to get to know our inner demons when we drink with them. We want to get to know them other times. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but I also like, I'm like having a hard time. Cause like, you know, I'm like, I also just want to, I, I really would like to go back. I, I w- can't wait to get back to working at a restaurant. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, I you know the second that it's safe, I'm going to go do that. But I'm like, I don't know when that's going to be. So I want to spend more time getting to know Colorado and getting to like settle in here more. And then like, hopefully getting to explore safely places around here. And mm-hmm. I'm also looking forward to getting the COVID vaccine. Woo! Yeah, I don't know when that'll be, but I am definitely going to get it when it happens. So I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome. That was like that was like 15 and one. I loved it. I know. I don't know. I love. Oh, I, I love what's going to happen. I, in I, I loved it. 2021. That's like a lot of oh. really cute, hopeful things. Also, we can both look forward to having our first woman vice president. <laughs> It makes us really happy. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Counting down the days. Like, if I had a white suit, I would wear a white suit on the swearing in of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I have white yoga pants and a white t shirt. Does that count? There's your white suit. Should we do that? Should we, like, we should watch it together? That would be fun. All right. Well, Thank you guys so much for joining us this year on our, I guess, oh wrapping my up. Gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for supporting us in 2020. 2021 is going to be a great year. I think we're going to record a ton of really awesome stuff. And I don't think we're going to recognize this podcast at the end of next year. I think it's going to be very different. Yeah, I'm making like, a prediction. I think we're going to grow. I know. Yeah, I think, I think so too. And like, keep sending us stuff. Um, we've been kind of MIA a little bit. Like, 
the last couple months or month. I don't know when, I don't know at all. Time, time is meaningless, but um, yeah, keep sending us stuff. We love your recommendations and we love you guys. So thank you for helping us make the last couple of months. Really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Hi, Harlots. We just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Harlots of History. If you like what you heard today, please go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can keep bringing you more salacious, scandalous harlots. Our music is Nia Proxis, Frank Riddick by Lloyd Rogers from freemusicarchive.com. And our cover art and editing is by us. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> we love suggestions, tips, tricks, or just salacious details you think are interesting. So please reach out to us on Instagram at Harlots of History Podcast or on Twitter at History Harlots or email us at Harlots of History Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, be a harlot, not a hater. Bye. Bye.